I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Coming up tonight in this live edition of Seahawks Forever, I will finally, I have gathered my thoughts. I have collected myself. I will give you my thoughts on the Seahawks loss once again to the 49ers last night, what it means, where they stand. And specifically, we're going to focus on Pete Carroll's comments after the game and on his coach's show today. I will play some of those key comments for you. I want to get your reaction, your questions live. If you can pop those in either through Twitter or YouTube, wherever you are, that's coming up next. Let's react. Let's talk. Let's let's get into some therapy. Let's work through this together. After yet another loss to the 49ers for the Seahawks. Coming up next on Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. So because we're live, some of the bells and whistles won't be here. Um, But I do have a couple of things queued up. I am going to play in a little bit Pete's comments from his coach's show that he does with Brock and Salk every Monday morning after the game today. Uh, unedited. It's about two minutes long. Thought it was interesting. Thought it was different. And uh, I want to react to it and get your reaction to it as well. If you're watching, wherever you're watching, on YouTube or Twitter or Facebook Live, uh, you can uh, send your comments in and they will come through. They should come through for me and I can show them on the screen for you as well. Uh, going to be doing this for a while. If you haven't heard, if you haven't listened to any of my last couple of shows, I'll be leaning more on the audio podcast side of things. So wherever you get your audio podcasts, please subscribe there. So you get notification of new episodes. And if you listen on Spotify or you just want to listen, you, you want to have an ad free listening experience. You can subscribe for 99 cents a month on Spotify. Uh, but YouTube, I'm going to have to do this live for a while. Which, uh, you know, the end result, it's it's not my favorite. I like to uh, do the post-processing, add some graphics for you, make things look nice and neat and clean. It's a little sexier uh, putting those things together. Um, but I am without working internet at the moment. I am using Hotspot. And that works for live, uh, but not uh, for uploading videos. Not in due time anyway. By the time, in the time it takes me to upload a 30 minute video using my phone as a hotspot, whatever I talk about in that video will be old news and obsolete. So, uh, Seahawks with yet another loss to the 49ers. Um, this is how it looks now. <laughs> uh, five straight losses to San Francisco. 
uh, a combined score of 148 to 72. None of those games have been closer than eight points. Um, and and they haven't beat the 49ers since Russell Wilson left. I just throw that out there. I don't know how much it means or doesn't mean. I think Russell's, I think his record against the Seahawks was, they showed it on the screen, I think it was 13 to 13 and seven, I believe. Um, the Seahawks, however, dropped to six and seven uh, with the loss yesterday. 28 to 16, the final score there. A game that was close throughout and closer than we thought it was going to be after the first play of the game. Uh, this game started out reminiscent of so many, you know, I'm a Coug, right? So many WSU games that I've seen over the years uh, where just from the first, the initial kickoff, it looked like you had no chance with the other team just starts tearing through you. And and certainly on the first play of the game, and I, and I had tweeted before the, the ball was even snapped, like, where's Draymond Jones? It was an interesting lineup to start the game. Just the camera angle happened to catch Mario Edwards as they were getting ready for the snap. And I thought, why is he out there for the first snap? And indeed, Draymond Jones was not on the field. I thought that was that was interesting. And then, uh, and I made some snarky comment about, you know, $51 million rotational player. He was in after that. It's just for, for whatever reason, for whatever they thought San Francisco was going to do on that first play, um, Jones wasn't on the field. Came back in after that. And on the next drive, the Seahawks really rallied against against the run. And that 72-yard run, of which I don't know if this is getting enough attention, just grasping at straws, trying to find some positives out of this game, right? Boye Mafe made the tackle on this play at what, the two or the three? That is an unbelievable hustle play by a guy who's 6'3", 255 like to run all the way down the field and get in on the tackle, he and Witherspoon, uh, to keep McCaffrey from scoring a touchdown. Certainly looked like he was going to score on that play. But 72 yards rushing on that first play. And then uh, the Seahawks gave up only 108 yards rushing in the entire half. I mean, they stiffened after that. Interesting first half to say the least. They, this this game, the story of this game is explosive plays. It's been beat to death over the last 24 hours. I'm not gonna belabor that too much. And the Seahawks had had some of their own. I think, I think the stat is 23 explosive plays between the two teams. Seahawks had 10 of those. But they gave up 13. You know, there were moments where, well, look at it this way. Where is it? In the first half. So San Francisco leads, Seahawks had a lead. The Niners lead 14 to 10 at half, right? It's a close game. Seahawks get the ball to start the second half. We think things are looking good. The Seahawks, this is how weird this first half was and really it carried on through the rest of the game. Seahawks forced three punts by the 49ers in the first half and had a turnover, had the Julian Love interception. And yet we're down 14-10 because they also gave up a 72-yard run, a 54-yard touchdown pass, and several other plays of 20-plus yards. It was kind of all or nothing. Seahawks end up averaging for the game 5.9 yards per play, which for them is really good. 
especially considered that they started their backup quarterback. Of course, we're going to talk about that tonight. Uh, but, but the 49ers end up averaging 9.9 yards per play. Um, if you are watching through YouTube, I believe uh, you can comment and it will come through on my screen. Nothing has yet. Again, this is a whole new setup for me in a new setting. Uh, I certainly hope that I can get that, that feedback from you guys. Um, so I can respond to it. Um, but the reason that, that I wanted to wait until tonight to do this show and, and is, you know, I found myself you know, going into this game. If you watched last week, I, I certainly didn't have unrealistic expectations. The 49ers have proven over the last couple of weeks since their bye, actually, how they lost three games in a row going into the bye. I, even with Trent Williams injured and a couple other things, I don't know. I don't know how that happened. Maybe they're just setting us up. <laughs> uh, but since the bye, they have far and away been the best team in the NFL, without question. Um, they're just rolling teams, and they're they're clicking on all cylinders. And and if they certainly if they stay healthy, they have to be the Super Bowl favorite, and they showed that yesterday. But even then, I found myself in the second half of this game. I just felt that tightness in my chest. I was upset. I was pissed. And and it took me a minute to kind of wrap my head around why that is, given that going into this game, what did I say on my previous show last week? If you listen to the audio only version of that, it was just show me something, right? Going up against the best team in the NFL, show me something that leads me to believe you can put a run together over these last four games that regardless of whether you get into the playoffs or not, that you give us some hope that, that things are headed in the right direction, that things are starting to gel. You give some sort of positivity going in the offseason. And yet they did. They did some of that. They competed with this team. And it still ended up in a way that pissed me off. <laughs> Because I think it served as a, a, a really clear piece of evidence of kind of what we've been talking about for the last eight weeks, really, with this team, and really the entire season. That the sum of the parts doesn't equal how, how quality we think those parts are. And I talked about it for the first time two weeks ago after the last San Francisco game that my opinion has changed, that, that I think it's time for some big changes in this organization and, and specifically the coaching staff. That as much as I love what Pete Carroll has done, that I feel it's very, very similar and comparable to the end of the Mike Holmgren era, that the league's different now. It changes like it, like it always does. It seems about every 10 years it evolves to a point that it passes some people by. And I think we're in that category now. That the NFL isn't so much, and I, I, I get a lot of this feedback from other people that I really respect as analysts, 
some of whom I've had on the show, that aren't overreactionary, that are that are reasoned and, and very calculated in their thoughts, able to articulate those, that the NFL isn't so much about X's and O's and schemes now. That there was a huge advancement in that area over the last 10, 15 years. But the, the league now is flooded with geniuses, essentially. It's not so much about the X's and O's. Everybody, for the most part, knows what everyone else is doing. And there's, there's only so much deception that's possible now when you line up and go against teams. It's about players. John Clayton, the late, great John Clayton, used to always say that the NFL was a talent acquisition league, that the best talent won. I don't believe that that's true anymore. I think it's the coaching staffs that get the most out of their talent that win. And I don't think that's happening right now, and I don't think it's been happening for a while. I think when you look at this roster, I can make the argument this team should win 10 games, should have won 10 games by now. That the talent is there. And that almost every game they've been in on, and with a better usage of their personnel, they would have come out on top. Some some of it's execution, some of it's a play here or there. That's the nature of football. But by and large, and and here's the example I'm going to give you to illustrate my thoughts on this. My good friend, Jake Ellen Boggan, who covers the Rams, I've had him on the show twice leading up to both Rams games. And and a lot of you have had some very, very strong thoughts about how confident he was that the Rams were a better team than the Seahawks this year. And you gave him a lot of grief for that, especially before week one. How are you feeling about that now? And I think they contrasting and comparing the Seahawks and the Rams are the best example of how I feel about this team now, where it's headed and where it needs to go. Do any of you believe that the Rams have a better roster than the Seahawks do right now? Overall, I'm talking balance. I'm talking depth at each position. The Rams have better stars. They have arguably three, maybe four top five players at their position, right? Aaron Donald, one of the most dominant defensive players in the league. Matt Stafford, a potential future Hall of Famer, a really high-level elite quarterback when he's healthy. Cooper Cup, when he's healthy. Again, one of the best receivers in football. You know, we've seen the emergence of Puka Nakua, but he's a rookie. Kyron Williams, but he's new on the scene. We see flash in the pan running backs. We don't know what he is yet, but they're, he's not a star yet. But that's that's kind of it, right? And then going into the season, especially on defense, we thought it's Aaron Donald and 10 replacement level players. It's Matt Stafford, Cooper Cup, and then a bunch of unknowns. A solid, good, not great offensive line. Like if you look at the roster from top to bottom, that the Rams have compared to the Seahawks. I think most general managers in the NFL would choose the Seahawks roster. 
maybe not general managers, coaching staff. But Sean McVay and that staff have figured out how to get the most out of that roster. And it's still sometimes those stars that are beating you week in and week out, even though that's where you know you have to game plan for when you face them. It's because they're so good at using their personnel, knowing strengths and weaknesses, what to play to, what to stay away from. And I think that's what plagues the Seahawks. Game in and game out. What do we talk about? Missed opportunities. We see it time and time and time again. The Seahawks start fast on offense. I saw a stat today. Let me look it up here because I know I bookmarked it. Forgive me for not having this ready in advance. <laughs> um, so this is from Arjun Menon, who uh, used to work for PFF. Uh, he's a great follow on Twitter, by the way. Uh, highest points per drive on the first drive of the game this season in the NFL. 49ers are number one in the NFL. No shocker there, right? They average 3.92 points on their first drive of each game. Guess who's second in the NFL at 3.5 points per drive to start the game? Your Seattle Seahawks. And then what happens? It's a Shane Waldron problem on offense. We saw it yesterday. Seahawks had 128 yards in the first half. Drew Locke, you know, marched down the field. The absolutely beautiful throw to DK Metcalf for the touchdown. Zach Charbonnet early in the game, seven rushes for 47 yards. That's an average of 6.7. He finishes with nine carries for 44 yards. We see this all the time. And it's not like Ken Walker. You you might think in your head, you might think, well, that's because Walker kind of took over in the second half. No, you're just thinking about the 28-yard play that he had where he reversed field and did that Ken Walker thing. And that was a a screen pass. That was a catch. Ken Walker was four carries for two yards in the first half, eight for 21 overall in the game. Zach Charbonnet, they found something on that one drive in the second quarter with Charbonnet. He goes seven for 47 in the first half, nine for 44 for the game. There's something about Waldron's ability to to script. And then when they go off script, it's a mixed bag. There are some examples. There are some games where the offense came out and played well in the second half. But more often than not, they don't. And the adjustments aren't there. We just don't see the adjustments. We saw the one drive in the third quarter yesterday where the Seahawks got the, they got the tight ends involved. The big play to Noah Fant and then the big touchdown to Colby Parkinson. Where the hell has that been? And then we don't see it at all. Early in the game, they're clearly targeting DK Metcalf, especially when Charvarius Ward went out injured. They throw over there a number of times. It obviously results, it results in two big completions, one being the touchdown, and then he doesn't get another target until the fourth quarter. And then on defense, this is where we need to, to head to, uh, to what the coach had to say today. 
The defense has just been, I pointed out on a recent show, it's just, it's been bad for five years. And we keep talking about, well, maybe it's personnel. So they, they flush the entire defensive line unit out and bring a new one in. And it's not better. They go out at the deadline and trade for Leonard Williams. And it's not better. Jamal Adams is going to make it better. It's making it worse. Bringing Bobby, Bobby Wagner back is going to improve it. It's not improved. It's not better. I think we can all agree the players that, that, that take the field for the Seahawks each week now on defense are more talented than the group that's been on defense for the last few years. And yet the results aren't different. It's coaching, right? I'm going to play this for you now. This is Pete today on his radio show that he does with Brock and Salk on Seattle, Seattle Sports uh, 710 every Monday or, or following the game. I'm going to play this unedited. It's about three minutes. And it's it's some some hard questioning from Mike Salk. And uh, And you may have seen some of these comments in print but I think they play differently sometimes when you watch it in video. Sometimes they sound harsher in print than you watch a video and you're, you think, I'm, it's not that big deal, right? This is what Pete had to say today when he was asked about what went wrong, specifically on defense, and how can they fix it? The big plays for them, the 70-yard run sets up a score. The 50-yard third and 13 or third, whatever that was, that was a total blunder. It was an easy play for us to make, a play that we practice all the time, and they got us for a touchdown play. And then we get fooled by, by Kittle again and a little play pass for another touchdown. There's three big plays that change the football game. That's 21, and there are 21 points that come out of that, you know, in a 28-point game. So, I mean, I'm looking at this like uh, – I thought we played these guys close. I don't think we played well. I thought we played okay, but we but we played these guys close to have a chance to win the football game, but we just gave them some opportunities. And it's really frustrating. It's really, because those are all things that we practice. There's all things that we see. And then when the moment came for the guy that had the chance, we didn't execute well. And then so i uh, really disappointed in that. So from a fan perspective, why is that? How does that happen? It, what leads to that? <clears throat> uh, um, it, I would go back to the uh, the week in prep that when the moment came for those opportunities that we practiced, we didn't you know hit it seriously enough to make the impression that I got to make this play. It's Debo coming across on a on a deep cross right or, you know right to Jamal. That's something that we've seen and we work on. It's a regular concept, and that never should happen, particularly in third and thirteen or third and eleven, whatever it was. And then the other one is uh, is on the the right side when Kittle gets behind us on that. We we saw that happen last year, and we corrected all of that through our training and our discipline of our footwork in, in our deep third play by the corner, and he didn't do it right. He didn't do it right. You know, he got caught in the play fake. He's not supposed to be part of the play fake. And so we give them a touchdown, and they execute it. They throw it and catch it. They give them all the credit, but that should never even have been a, a decision to throw. He should never even throw that ball. So... Um, that's what's frustrating because we're that close. So we, the guy's got to do it right in the moment. You know, you got to do it right in the moment. We got to practice cleaner, better uh, uh, in, in for Jamal. We got to make sure that he's getting his reps in, in practice that that he can execute and get the timing. Uh, Reek's got to make his play. That's just one. It's a discipline play. You do play after play after play, and it's unfortunate, you know. And so we have to do a better job of, of making them aware of how crucial it is to do right. Do you think we could expect changes? Before Monday, there, night. there'll be some. Well, there's some things we have to do here. There's some things we have to do, and and, and uh, we'll take care of business. What 
does, you know, when you say that. You I'm know, not talking to you about it, okay? <laughs> you just have to wait and see. My bad. Right. Can't help you. Right. Sorry, Brock. <laughs> I'm sure you're sick enough. You're not so sick you can't be listening out there. <laughs> I can't imagine that level of sickness. <laughs> uh, let me follow up one more time, though, because it's my job to do so. When you say changes, changes we have to the fix some stuff. We have to, we have to fix the process. We have to make sure that we're doing the right job as coaches to make sure they see the things that they need to see with the earnest that they can. They'll they'll carry it to the game time. So when it happens, it happens right for us instead of happening wrong. And uh, it's it's not very difficult to, to to change that game. It's not very difficult. It's just doing things exactly right, and it's easy. <clears throat> it's it's part of the system. We should we should have got that done. Do you feel like your message is getting through to the players? Ask them. Next. Uh, okay. What? A, <laughs> I guess the reason I asked. It was kind of awkward there at the end, wasn't it? I <laughs> um, thought that was a good job by Sock. He's kind of pressing the issue, you know, and really trying to find out from like, okay, you're telling us that the players aren't doing what you're coaching them to do. And, and he sounded frustrated and exasperated. Didn't he? Well, it's it's week what fourteen, fifteen, and then he got a little defensive. You know, I'm not talking to you about it. He tried to laugh it off and make a joke, but it seemed like that was just him trying to lighten the moment. He wasn't happy about it. I don't think he wanted to face those kinds of questions. And then when he was asked the real telling one about have you know is is your message not getting through? Ask them. It's like, and and to name drop Reek and Jamal and throw them under the bus like that, that's unusual. It's not Pete Carroll-like. And it brings up a bunch of questions. Well, you gave up a ton to get Jamal Adams in draft capital and then a huge extension. And you stick with him through the injuries. And now, and now he's not producing, and you're, you're flat out telling us that on that play, the long touchdown to Debo, that he got caught flat-footed and he should have known better. Well, if you're not getting through to him and you're paying that much money to him, why? then why is he on the field? And if Reek Woolen, who was so good as a rookie a year ago and has, has really not played well this year, he also like had a couple of egregious, embarrassingly bad missed tackles where he just whiffed on guys in this game. Um, then should he be on the field? I know Trey Brown is hurt, but Michael Jackson was available. You know, and then Witherspoon got hurt early in this game and Jackson had to come in, but that's, that's not the point. You know, always compete, right? Win forever. If you're telling us the right guys on the field or aren't on the field, then put put other guys on the field. And if the guys on the field aren't doing what you're coaching them to do, then where's the disconnect? Because ultimately that's on you. You've changed defensive coordinators three times in the last seven or eight years. You've changed offensive coordinators three times in the last seven or eight years. And here we are. Since 2017, I had to be reminded of this. In 2017, Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan were both hired. Since then, the Rams are 73 and 48. The 49ers are 68 and 52. And the Seahawks are 65 and 51. The Cardinals are way back. So the Seahawks are the third winningest team in the division in the last six years since those two guys were hired. And that's through, you know, the Rams going through the Super Bowl hangover and all the injury issues they had, not being happy with Jared Goff, with Matthew Stafford getting hurt, 
The 49ers, through a large part of that, really struggling to find a quarterback that was effective for them. They, they trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. He gets hurt all the time. They trade up in the draft for Trey Lance. That doesn't work out. And yet they're still better than us over that stretch. Those are two coaches that I believe get more out of the players they have on hand than our current staff. And what makes it so frustrating is this is a talented roster. And it's one that I believe, I believe this roster should have at least nine wins. And they don't. And for the first time since Pete Carroll's been here, my confidence level that it's going to change is not very high. It's not very high. And now they go into this last four-game stretch. And my question to you is, what do you want to see? Because at this point, if the season started ended today, the Seahawks would have the 13th pick in the draft. They play the Eagles coming up a week from tonight on Monday Night Football. And this is an Eagles team that's reeling a little bit right now. There might be an opportunity there. The Seahawks, I'm not saying this is hopeless. If the Seahawks can get their stuff together and put a complete game together at home, Monday Night Football, that environment, who knows? Because Philly fans right now are freaking out. In the last two weeks, they've played the two other best teams in the NFC. Dallas, San Francisco, they've gotten blown out. Jalen Hurts played his one of his two worst games of the year this weekend. The Eagles turned the ball over at key moments. Their defense uh, is in the bottom third of the league in DVOA, despite all that talent. They've got their backs against the wall. Seahawks are going to be playing a hungry and desperate Eagles team on Monday night. Uh, which I'm really looking forward to. A lot of times when both teams are hungry and desperate, it, it turns into really, really good football. But we went into this four-game stretch, two against the Niners, then the Cowboys and the Eagles, thinking if they could just somehow win one. But they lost the one against the Rams in LA going into this stretch, and that changed the entire season. We talked about it at the moment, but we didn't think it would look this bad three weeks later, did we? What do you want as a fan? Do you want to see them go on a run and get into the playoffs? Even if they lose against the Eagles, they can still do that. That's how bad the middle of the NFC is this year. Do you want that? Or are you kind of pulling for chaos? I can't believe I'm going to say this to you, but I'm kind of leaning towards chaos at this point. I've been saying for a month now, the thing, the way things line up next year, it would be malpractice to not take a quarterback in the first round. And now that pick just keeps getting higher and higher. 13th right now, it could finish, it could be a top 10 pick. With five, potentially six first round quarterbacks that the consensus among the scouting community seems to be are franchise guys. Don't you want to be higher than that? Does it do any good to squeak into the playoffs with eight or nine wins if you're just going to get knocked out in the first round and it costs you 10 spots in the draft? 
And if there is going to be change, if, if you're one of those who thinks that change is necessary, and I believe that number is growing, it's certainly more vocal now than it has been, then are you kind of secretly pulling for the Seahawks to not finish strong, right? Sometimes there is a silver lining to struggles. Pete was even asked this today. It's a little bit of a silver lining that Gino gets hurt and Drew finally gets a chance to start and play an entire game in the regular season for the Seahawks because they finally get to see what he can really do. I thought he played well. I think most people thought he played well. 22 out of 31, 269 yards, 8.7 yards per attempt, a 92 rating. Uh, that rating dropped from uh, 116.5 in the first half, largely due to the two interceptions. Um, but the one interception, the ball was hit coming out of his hand. Then the other one, he he throws up a 50-50 goal ball that was just a bad decision and a bad throw. And But I thought he played well. We saw, you could certainly see, the things that are enticing about Drew Locke. For those of you who, who just wanted to dismiss him or brush him off, he sucks because he sucked for two years in Denver or whatever. You just don't pay attention and you just haven't really watched. This kid, we saw it yesterday, he's so easy the way he releases the football. He just kind of flicks his wrist, you know. It's a quick release. It's a lot of arm strength. Saw some really cool, that throw to DK Metcalf was as good a throw as you're going to see a quarterback make. So I thought that was impressive. Did I see enough that I think he should be the starter going forward? Hell no. Tino's more experience, gives you the better chance to win right now. And, oh, by the way, had been playing some of the best football he'd played ever leading up to the injury. It was outstanding in the Dallas game, and that was kind of a culmination of like two and a half games of, of seeing some things click with him. His processing was getting quicker. His decisions were, were getting more pronounced, and, and he was playing really well. But I think Drew played well enough that two things. I don't know that you can make an argument that Gino might have given us a better chance to win yesterday. I don't know. Gino has played better than I think the general consensus is that he has played against the Niners in the last year and a half. But would he have done better than 22 out of 31 for 269? I don't know. But I think it also, I think I think it's it's the fact that Drew played pretty well points out even more so some of the shortcomings that Shane Waldron has as the organizer of this offense. Because I think there were other missed opportunities. There were some things that that got away from the running game again. Didn't use the tight ends enough. Didn't spread the ball around enough. Didn't keep going back to DK after some success in the first quarter. In a way, it almost pointed out Waldron's shortcomings even more. Because you can't just blame it on one quarterback or the other. You have two talented quarterbacks. You should be able to win with each one. It's good to know, but where's the ceiling? And that's my thing with this coaching staff. The floor's high. I think as long as Pete Carroll wants to stick around, I think as a Seahawks fan, you know you're 
maybe never again going to have to face a losing season. You're going to win eight, nine games every year. But can you win 13 or 14 in the modern NFL with this coaching staff? I don't think so. Uh, Before I go, I just want to give you my thoughts on DK because that's a big point of contention as well. Uh, I am not on the, where, where do I side on this argument of, of his temper? I think in the, for the most part, it's been overblown. He's an intense, tightly wired, competitive player. I don't think he's ever thrown teammates under the bus. He's never complained about not getting the ball to the point that it, it fractures the locker room. Yes, he gets frustrated. He's, in, he's, he's intense. We didn't see any of that yesterday until the game was kind of out of hand. And I understand it. And here's why. This is why <laughs> when you watch that 49ers team play. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. They're kind of the epitome of what pisses opponent fans off the most. They're really good. They really know it. And they really don't give a F about showing it. It comes across as the bully on the playground who's not content just knowing he's bigger and stronger and can beat everybody else up on the playground. He has to tell you about it. And try to incite things so that he has opportunities to prove it. You know, the play where uh, Nick Bosa chased Drew Locke around and, and tackled him uh, after a long scramble and and the cameras were focused on him. He was so concerned. He's laughing and everything. Game's still in the balance. He's laughing about, you know, all he cares about is whether he got credit for a sack right there. To the point that five minutes later, he's still like talking to the guy who has the Microsoft Surface in his hand. And he's like, is that, did they give me a sack? Is that, it? and the guy's watching the replay. Like, that's all he cares. And just the shit talking and, and it's very reminiscent of, I have to remind you of this, of the Legion of Boom. They would do that too. And it's why those teams are so hated by opposing fans. Because the only thing worse than getting getting your ass beat by someone else is getting your ass beat and having them tell you about it the entire time that they're that they're handing down that ass beating. 
And so, of course, it's going to be frustrating at the end of the game. And then think about what happened in that moment, right? He gets a ball thrown to him after two quarters of being ignored, after he got the team off to a good start. The ball's thrown short. It's intercepted. He tries to make a physical tackle. Looks like a suplex. Probably was going to draw a flag no matter what, but I don't think it was an egregious play. And then Fred Warner, while he's sitting on the ground, hits him full speed from behind in the back like a little, you know what I'm about to say, right? Like there's a lot of stories coming out today about how the 49ers went into that game trying to mess with DK. Like if you can get 14, there's all these quotes from their players that if you can get 14 off his game, get him, get him pissed, then we've got them. So they're that focused on him, right? Okay. Then do what you're going to do to make that happen, but let DK determine whether or not you're successful or not. But a cheap shot like that from behind? Like there's some blame to go around here, right? So for DK to go after that guy in that situation, I don't blame him at all. It's just that the it's the cumul- cumulative effect of that with his history of some other dumb penalties. There's no other way to say it that, you know, stick in people's head. I don't have a problem with DK yesterday. I would actually argue this and and I'll leave you on this note. I think if the Seahawks had more players like DK, they might have more than six wins this year. They might not have won four or lost four in a row for the first time. Pete Carroll's, time in Seattle. They might not have lost five out of six. And this is a bigger issue to be discussed at another time, but maybe that there's been such an emphasis on high character players. Not that I want the Seahawks to put specifically go out and target uh, meatheads and dirt bags, as Jim Mora so aptly put it at one time but that maybe so much emphasis is placed on character that maybe we lack some of that intense competitive fire. And so I don't mind what I saw from DK Metcalf at all yesterday. I don't. I don't. Um, Anyway, that's where I'm at. So much to talk about. Uh, again, I apologize. It doesn't look like um, the way that I ran this stream tonight allowed you to get in with your questions and comments. Um, I will continue to try to get my wiring situation worked out here at my home so that I can get my high speed internet back so we can go back to the way that things are meant to be. In the meantime, though, two things. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever because then you'll always get updates about the show and things that are happening with it. But also, uh, the audio podcast side of things is not as impacted. And so uh, I plan to, to post more audio only episodes. Uh, they might be a little bit shorter, maybe reacting to things more on a daily basis. So wherever you get your podcasts, Apple or Google or Spotify, wherever, um, definitely look up Seahawks forever and subscribe there so you get notification of new episodes. And if you want to hear those episodes with no ads inserted, then head over to Spotify and look in the description. Or on if you're watching on YouTube now, I'll put the link in the description for the show as well, where you can subscribe for 99 cents a month and get rid of those ads. Um, 
And if you just want to support the show, you can buy me a coffee. That link is in the description as well. Thanks, guys. I've got some really cool things going on. Just lined up a great guest for next week that I cannot wait to have on the show. He's a quarterback guru and a former high-level quarterback that I just love the analysis and stuff he's doing online. Can't wait to talk to him about the Seahawks quarterback situation and some of the prospects uh, as we head into next year. Uh, I'll have some more things coming later this week. Get you ready for the Eagles game on Monday night and then a reaction to that show. Until then, just follow me on all the socials and uh, we'll do this together. We'll get through the rest of the season together and we'll see where it goes from there. Okay? Forever and always go Hawks.